Hi, I'm Nan Musso, and you probably know me from The Care Cottage. It is Volunteer Sunday, and when Devana asked me to talk about faithfulness, faithfulness in light of the volunteers at the cottage, it made me think about the quote about success, that it's 90% perspiration, 10% inspiration. So I'll say getting the work of the kingdom done is 10% inspiration and 90% faithfulness. The first notes we have about the cottage are from 1992. Anna Mae Seipel, Ruth Durst, Betty Smith, Janet Yolland, Jackie Leach, and Donna Stevens worked in the closet, not the cottage. And they served 558 people, gave out 206 food boxes and 412 bags of clothing and stuff. We fast forward 30 years to today where we take up a lot more room in, than a closet. We served nearly 2,200 people and gave out over 600 food boxes and 2,500 bags of clothes and stuff. That's due to the faithfulness of a lot of volunteers over many years. Some long-term volunteers that have retired and moved, Carol Cheney, Marion Peters, Evelyn Connor, Jackie Trulson, Bernice Shrimp, not all have moved, retired or moved. The current group that's running the cottage is Bobby Minigas, who has been working there for more than 20 years, Don Feehan, Maureen Finch, Grace Serpa, Ron Woods, Young Jock Park, Jenny Maharg, and Varie Lou, who's in the Christmas room. When COVID hit, as you know, everything shut down, including the clothing side of the cottage. But with all the food, food shortages, Young Joss spoke up and said, we can't shut down, people are hungry. So while many charitable places did shut down, we never completely closed. We stayed open to hand out food over the door during those first few months. As we learned more and the things loosened up, we were able to open up for clothing appointments, dealing with all the county COVID restrictions. And that has been our faithfulness all along. When time for the Christmas room came up, it would have been really easy to say, this is too hard to do with COVID and just given up as many other organizations did at the time. But instead we decided to figure out how to do it safely. And we did, with no resulting cases of COVID. And that was God's faithfulness to us. Now we will read God's word. Galatians 5, 1, 22 through 26. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Matthew 13, 24 through 30, 36 through 43. The parable of the weeds. 
Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did, where did, then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people in the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, that story was the first experience I had with Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church because I joined our church two weeks before COVID shut down. So Nan is the first person I met here. Nan and Regina are the first people I met here. And I'd like to introduce myself again, even though Bart already introduced me. I'm Devonna Brazier, and I'd like to join Bart with welcoming you here to worship this morning. Um, we are on the back end of our sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit. We're coming to a close on this. But way back in May, when we were previewing how all of these parables are going to match up to these different fruits of the Spirit and kind of getting a strategy for this teaching series, Bart said to our teaching staff, Oh, faithfulness. That's a tough one. Who's got that one? And so we opened our laptops and we scrolled through the list. It's me. It's me. <laughs> So you might have heard the saying that insanity is showing up to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, faithfulness is showing up to do exactly the same thing over and over again and expecting it to matter. Faithfulness is boring and it's beautiful. Here are some synonyms. Committed, steadfast, honest, loyal, trusted. Who doesn't want someone who exhibits these qualities? as their friend or partner or neighbor. These things aren't coming up from inside ourselves. We can't bubble them up from within. These are an outcropping of walking in step with the Holy Spirit who teaches us to live as Jesus did. Jesus, the ultimate example of faithfulness. Have you ever heard of someone dropping a truth bomb? I'd like to talk about honesty a little bit. There's a snarkiness that undergirds this type of honesty, especially on social media. How many of you are subscribed to Nextdoor, the social media platform that's supposed to build healthy communities? 
exactly. There is an unbelievable amount of snarkiness on Nextdoor. You'll see a post that's something like, I almost got hit by a car crossing in front of the middle school. I was so scared. And then you get brutally honest reply number one. Well, you should have looked both ways. And then there's reply number two. People shouldn't be walking in front of the school during drop-off. Don't they know it's busy? And then we get reply number three. No one drives the speed limit in a school zone. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. And then reply number four. This is why I homeschool. Schools are bad for kids. <laughs> I'm just kidding. First Corinthians 13, 6 through 7 reads, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This paints a very different picture than a truth bomb. God's word says that the faithful truth is something to rejoice in. It comes from a place of love. It's protective and hopeful. It binds you together. It lasts for the long haul, and it magnifies the value of the individual with whom you're being honest. It doesn't tear them down. We celebrate someone who's true to themselves, or speaks their truth. And I'm not saying, when I kind of speak against this a bit, that we should be dishonest with ourselves or not be true to who we believe God has called us to be or made us to be. But faithfulness that we're talking about is not an individual faithfulness. It's a communal faithfulness that honors our relationships with others and with God. Our communities are counting on us to show up faithfully, consistently, day after day, it's a selfless quality of faithfulness. So as we dig deeper into living by the Spirit and growing in faithfulness, I'd like to talk about three types of communal faithfulness. Vocational faithfulness, relational faithfulness, and sacred faithfulness. Vocational faithfulness is fulfilling your calling to others in the various roles that God has placed you in, your jobs, your neighborhood, your schools, Relational faithfulness is more specific to your personal relationships, your faithfulness to your family, your spouse, your friends. Sacred faithfulness is in the context of your faithful relationship with God and, even more importantly, his faithful relationship with us. Let's look more closely at vocational faithfulness. Like I mentioned earlier, Vocation is your career, for sure, but it's also your role in your larger communities that you take part in. Teenagers, children, you are vocationally called to your school studies, your sports teams, your clubs, your friends. Adults, we're vocationally called to carpools and HOAs and our rec sports teams and the school board and our city. You get the idea. Like Bart said last week in his Sermon on Goodness, your vocation is the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. The people in your communities are on a mission from God to be served by you through your vocation. Vocations are communal. The business magazine Fast Company says that most working adults will have a minimum of two careers in their lifetime, and some of us as many as seven careers in our adulthood. So how are we to be faithful in our vocations when they're going to change? Very few of us are like my Aunt Kim, who is a teacher in Ohio. She taught elementary school in the same school district for 32 years. And on the day that she retired, the mayor of her town called it Mrs. D Nixon Day, and they literally had a parade for her. I know, that never happens. I have never been given a parade. 
So what does vocational faithfulness look like if, it's going, if your situation and your vocation changes over and over again? Well, I'd like to tell you the story of a family of five that I know. They live and work in a majority Muslim country doing vocational ministry. This family has lived in the same neighborhood since their children were little. But because of job changes, they had to move back to the United States while one of the parents was receiving more education. The original plan was that they'd be here for just long enough for him to get his master's degree and then they'd return back to the country that they had felt called to live in. But two years quickly turned into many more, not least of which because of COVID. And finally, they were able to return to their country that they live in and very near the exact same neighborhood that they had lived in originally. And they were very, very excited. But the enthusiasm was quickly choked out by a great deal of weeds growing up amongst the wheat. There was delayed and lost paperwork. There was unexpected bureaucracy that meant that dad had to live apart from the rest of his family for a lot longer than they thought that they'd have to. And when they were all finally able to move into the same apartment together after a lot of struggle, the apartment was extremely dark and had no windows. They were very demoralized, but perhaps even more upsetting to them, no matter how hard they had prepared and how much they had looked forward to returning to the people that they loved to live near, while they were home in the United States, their daughters grew up into the age where they needed to cover their heads when they were out in public. And that was unbelievably difficult for that family's transition. And it caused them a lot of stress and anxiety, not because they were ashamed, but because they were worried that they would offend somebody. That's a lot of weeds, right? All of this work requires faithful trust that if God is sowing these good seeds for them in that good soil, if this is the field he's caused, called them to work in, they needed to fight the urge to pull up all the weeds. They need to see it through until their vocation ends at this, in this place. And I don't know if I could do that. I think I might have just come home. I want to use this as a transition into relational faithfulness. This family has been called, called to live for a season internationally. That season is going to come to a close for them, as all vocations do. Their kids are eventually going to grow up and move out. All children do. They are eventually going to retire from work. All adults do. When their children grow up, they may choose to go into vocational ministry among the Muslim community. They may not. But they are likely going to maintain long-term friendships with the people that they met while they lived there. They're already reconnecting with their friends from when they were younger. They're definitely always going to be the children of their parents. So unlike your vocation, and there is a vocational quality to our family relationships and our friendship relationships, our human relationships are often lifelong. I'd like to say the growing season for a family or a friendship is more like a field of corn rather than your career vocation, which is a lot more like a patch of radishes. So how is a Christian faithful in their personal relationships? How about romantic relationships? The popular definition of faithfulness does share some overlap with what we're talking about today. Even your friends and neighbors who aren't Christians value monogamy, right? But I wonder if the common understanding of monogamy is more like possessiveness rather than the fruit of the Spirit faithfulness. You want your partner to show up and do what you want them to do rather than you want to show up 
and do for your partner as God is calling you to do for them. There's still an individualistic feeling about possessiveness rather than the communal feeling of faithfulness where we are coming together to do work together. Surrendering daily to the needs of your partner is not the family romance story that gets told in our culture. There are no blockbuster movies about mowing the same lawn for 72 years. Have you ever heard someone say, if you really want to ruin your relationship, get married? Yeah. In 2002, if someone had told me what faithfulness in marriage was going to look like for me in 2013 through 2015, which was a season marked by a whole lot of weeds, I think I would have run out the door. I don't think I would have stayed. But I have learned by talking to people who have been married for a very long time, when you ask them about their family life and their marriage, they don't talk about the bad years as if they're some horrible thing. They talk about their whole life and even the rough spots as something that they are fond of, that drew them closer together, and that actually ended up producing a lot of fruit for their families. Having your partner beside you, showing up for the boring and beautiful every day is not exciting, but it's secure, and it bears an abundant crop despite the weeds, generation after generation. Which leads me to want to tell you the story of Jesus' 30 times great-grandmother. Her name is Ruth, and her life is a beautiful illustration of relational faithfulness, not just in marriage, but also to her mother-in-law and to her son. The story starts with a woman named Naomi, who moves with her husband and two sons from Bethlehem to Moab, a neighboring nation, because they were escaping famine. And while they were in Moab, her two sons married two women, Orpah and Ruth. They lived together as a multi-generational family in Moab, but eventually Naomi's husband and two sons died, and that left Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah alone in Moab with no one to protect them. So this caused Naomi to feel that she needed to return to Israel, and she didn't want to bring that upon her daughters-in-law who might not want to go to a nation they'd never been in, so she released them from their promise to her. Um, Orpah embraced her freedom and returned to her parents, but Ruth was stuck, struck with a sense of loyalty and love for Naomi, and she refused to be released. She said to her, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I love that. Naomi and Ruth both remained faithful to one another, and they did return to Israel together. They were hungry, so Naomi sent Ruth to a barley field every day to pick up the extra pieces of grain that were at the edge of the field so that they'd have something to eat. This field was owned by a family friend who was quite wealthy named Boaz, and he eventually became so enamored with Ruth's faithfulness to the work that she was doing and her faithfulness to Naomi that he fell in love with her and he married her. The Bible calls him her kinsman redeemer. What a cool term. Boaz is not just faithful to Ruth. Boaz also bought the field that once belonged to Naomi's family and that kept all of the generational wealth in their family. He was protecting Naomi and Ruth through this faithfulness. 
That doesn't seem like it makes sense to us today. We'd be like, well, gosh, you know, a woman can do it on her own. But back then, if there were women who didn't have the protection of a family, they were at risk of losing everything, possibly even made to be slaves. So the end of this story, full of weeds as it is, ends with a whole lot of wheat. Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed. And according to the Hebrew genealogies, Ruth's son Obed is the direct descendant of King David. And King David is the direct descendant of Joseph, who married Mary. And they were the parents of Jesus in Bethlehem, Jesus the kindred redeemer of the world. God chose to work out his faithfulness to us through the faithfulness of Ruth. It's kind of amazing, especially if you think about how this is one of the oldest stories in the Bible. God was already promising to save us through Bethlehem. Which leads me to my third and final thought as we come to a close. Sacred faithfulness. But first, really quick, I want to clear up a couple of misunderstandings that I don't want you to walk away with today. First, I don't want you to mistake weeds for wheat just because we're asked to let them grow up in the field along with the wheat. Jesus is not advocating for us to call something bad something good. We don't always get an explanation for a parable in Scripture, but this time we do. Jesus said, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. So to say it another way, the weeds aren't just annoying, the weeds are evil. There's evil in the world, and it affects us. The other mistake is believing that we can manage this kind of faithfulness on our own, like we can muster it up some more deep inside of us. Sacred faithfulness is an invitation to return to God over and over again and allow him to show his faithfulness to us. Ruth remained faithful to God and allowed him to bless her. And like I said before, the Ruth story is ultimately about God blessing us through her. Hebrews 11 begins, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And that's followed by a list of a bunch of Hebrew fathers who were faithful to God. But actually, it's a story about how God was faithful to these Hebrew fathers. And if I had 40 more minutes, we could talk about it more. Each of these heroes exhibited trust in God to follow through. They couldn't see on the surface how God was going to do that work, but they trusted in the promises that he made to us. So what does this look like practically? What's the take-home, if you will? Well, showing up at church week after week is sacred faithfulness. Sometimes we show up and we are not feeling it. Sometimes we show up and we're not believing it. Sometimes it really resonates deeply with us. And we show up in all of those stages week after week, that sacred faithfulness. It would be good if the conversation in your family changed from, are we going to church tomorrow, to what time are we going to church tomorrow? Also, there's a mystery surrounding what goes on here. There's a mystery surrounding communion. There's a mystery surrounding baptism. We can't see it on the surface, but we trust that there's something sacred going on, God meeting us here. We trust that something is happening. Patient surrender to God is sacred faithfulness. When things are not going well, when there is more weeds than wheat, but you wait for God to allow your situation to change, that is sacred faithfulness. 
fighting the urge to pull up the weeds and take it into your own hands before the growing season is over. Confession is sacred faithfulness. Acknowledging that sometimes those weeds are actually because of our own sinfulness. That's not easy to do. As I was contemplating the scripture in preparation for this morning, I kept imagining that I was standing at the edge of a field with a huge pile of wheat and a pile of weeds. Maybe a huge pile of weeds. And I realized that a lot of the things that I have done or said or not done was in this pile of weeds. It was right there. But I drew a lot of comfort knowing that I am actually not going to pick up that bundle and walk it over to the fire to be burned. The angels bundled it up, it says, to be burned. It is going to be carried by Jesus. Jesus picks up the bundle, he throws it on his back, he walks to the fire. Jesus walks into the fire, the weeds are burned up, and Jesus walks back to me and he says, I've got this, you can trust me. Let's enjoy the harvest together. I want to sit with that for as long as I can. So as we contemplate faithfulness, we are going to continue to faithfully prayer, pray the prayer of John Stott. We've done it after every single sermon. Um, and sometimes we allow it to be prayed over us, but this morning I'm going to invite you to pray it along with me. So let us bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.